Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Careers Mayor podcast with my good friend Jacob and myself, Jordan. It's a brand new podcast. It's our first ever episode, and the Careers Mayor podcast is all about people's careers, clues in the name. You know, chatting about people's careers, jobs they've done in the past, funny anecdotes from those jobs. And then the crux of it all being that myself and Jacob will design this person their dream job. But firstly, I want to introduce you to my co-host and my good friend, Jacob. How are you doing? Hello, Jordan. I'm doing fine. (laughs) And hello to all of our listeners beyond the seas and at home. (laughs) Yes, Jordan's right. Um, We're going to be talking about real careers and then dream careers. So a bit of earth, a bit of heaven, a bit of being grounded, a bit of being imaginative, a bit of being serious and a bit of being fun. That's what we're all about, isn't it, Jordan? 100%. 100%. But we should probably introduce ourselves first. Um, My name's Jordan. I am a work coach for Universal Credit. So I work at a job center and I'm based in Bristol. What do you do, Jacob? Well, hello, I'm Jacob. That's what I do. That's what I am. (laughs) I am a risk management advisor. I work for a management consultancy in London. I live in sunny Cambridge. Well, you actually live in the River Cam, don't you? I do. At the bottom. At the bottom. (laughs) The River Cam would be quite a chaotic place to live because there are lots of rowers and punters and people would be sticking metal poles into me all day, every day if I were on the bottom of the am so so i won't live there actually i'm f- gonna move actually <laughs> you talk me out of it you are famously full of holes <laughs> yeah. aren't you jacob <laughs> they call me swiss jacob <laughs> you said something uh said something about a, a guest is that right um yeah we uh each week we're going to be having a different guest on um to chat about their careers this guest is a very very good friend of ours someone that we've known for god it's got to be eight years now isn't i it? think so yeah eight years um we know him from uni uh we know him through comedy society through the theater group we love him to death his name is charlie randall his name's charlie randall he's from norfolk and he's a horrid little boy (laughs) and we're going to talk to him about what he wanted to do when he was older what his first job was what his current job is and what his dream job would be and then we're going to send him away back to norfolk good riddance to him good riddance Well, should we get the the horrible little rotter on now? Oh, I guess so. But not before. Some theme music. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm good, thanks, Jordan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited to speak to you. I'm very excited to have you here. I'm pretty sure I've spoken to you before, so it shouldn't be that exciting for you. But um... well, it's a delight every time. <laughs> We've got you on here today um, because uh, clues in the name, mate. We want to chat to you about careers. So we want to we want to take it all the way back to the start. What did you want to be 
when you grew up, when you were a little lad? That is an excellent question. My answer is probably about a hundred different things. Uh, I was one of those kids who throughout his life just had like every week a different job that I wanted to do. I've always loved animals, so I really wanted to be a vet when I was really little. I wanted to be a mechanic at one point <laughs> because I like cars. And to do with that, I wanted to be the, the Top Gear presenter. Um, I was pretty adamant that I was going to be the first uh, child to drive the uh, car around the Top Gear track. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought about emailing them and being like, look, I can't drive. Get me an automatic and I'll do it. Um, But yeah, I wanted to be about a million different things as well as, of course, you know, professional footballer, uh, F1 driver. Like a lot of these have to do with cars, actually, which is quite interesting. But um yeah, unfortunately for me, and mainly for my mum, every week she'd just get these inundated with all these questions about, how do I do this? What does a mechanic actually do? <laughs> well, you were very well spoken for a child, child. Yes, I was spoken. Mother. <laughs> to be fair, I was. It was more like, mummy, what does a vet do? Do I actually have to put the dogs down? That, that was a key concern of mine. I remember I won a book award when I was little, for for something I don't remember what it was but I got to pick whatever book I wanted and I chose the book Caring for Your Dog we still got it at home (laughs) you're just the sweetest little boy who ever lived that book is really helpful especially today because my dog has some weird behaviours so that book has proved essential okay and what like what well, there was this thing recently where I thought my dog was really depressed because he was lying down constantly and I was really, I was genuinely so worried about him. Uh, and I looked in this book and it basically said dogs spend 50% of their day sleeping and an extra like 35% of their day just lying around. So I was like, oh, I think my dog's probably absolutely fine. <laughs> Is that really true? They, I mean, to be fair, our, our staffy um just yeah she just sleeps all the time yeah it's crazy isn't it i i I genuinely was worrying about him because i was like he sleeps all night and then he's just lying around during the day and you know how dogs do that thing where they go (sighs) yeah and then you're just like my dog hates me (laughs) how do i fix this book please that i got in year three or whenever it was (laughs) I love that you've still got that book. Oh, yeah. And you still refer to it. Still on your bedside table. (laughs) It's something like that. It's really (laughs) thick as well. It was like, it was almost like a medical textbook. And for some reason in like year three or four, whenever I want it, I was just like, I'm going to get this one and become a vet (laughs) off my own back. So as you were, you wanted to do a lot of things. And then as you were growing up, did you find that there was things that you started honing in on, you know, as you're moving through school, um, things that you started thinking a bit more seriously about that you would want to do later on in life? Um, I I mean, I guess I I did a lot of acting. I loved, I've always loved acting and always loved drama and performing and being the centre of attention and singing and stuff like that. So I guess, yeah, I remember doing my first proper sort of performance play thing in primary school. I think in probably year four-ish, year five maybe. And from then on, I was just, I was pretty obsessed with it, to be honest. Um, Drama was always my favourite lesson and I would just be buzzing to go to rehearsals after school and on Saturdays and mum would have to drive me all the way into rehearsals all the time. So I guess in that sense, it was 
it was kind of the acting stuff that really, really grabbed me and, and I kind of grabbed onto it and really, really wanted to try and keep doing that because I just found it so much fun. And then from high school, it certainly just went on from there. I mean, I auditioned for literally every play I could have been part of. I was always, I mean, most days of the week I was at rehearsals after school and Saturdays all day and, you know, giving up so much of my time, my free time to all this stuff. But I loved it, and yeah, it just kind of it got it got bigger and bigger, and I just got more and more into it, really. So that's kind of where I went, I guess, grabbing onto that. Because part of the appeal of being there, obviously, being an actor allows you to play lots of different roles. So you know, you could have played mm. a mechanic and a vet and a Top Gear presenter and <laughs> professional footballer and everything else. I think that's definitely part of it. I think mm. I love the character work as much as anything else. I love, yeah, being somebody else is, is really good fun and kind of trying to be somebody else is, is, is a big challenge. And that's that's definitely a big reason why I do it, I think. When you were in uni and you were doing all these shows, all these performances, were you getting the feeling then that, okay, this is something that I could see myself doing as a career, I could see myself doing full time? Oh, 100%. It was, to be honest, it was all I wanted to be doing when I was there. And I think that's fairly that was fairly evident considering all the like I said earlier like since I was little I've, I've always kind of dedicated a lot of kind of extracurricular time so after schools and weekends um to doing sort of acting at different you know youth groups and different yeah theatre groups and stuff and then at uni I just took it to a different level and I literally uh had rehearsals every single day of the week for most of um most I'd say for at least two years of my three-year uni course I was rehearsing pretty much every single day either after you know in the evenings or at weekends but it, it was so much fun and it was uh yeah I, I just knew then that that was that was what I wanted to be doing really because it was so much fun and hanging out with everybody and obviously we just had such a great time all of us just like hanging out together and and messing around and making these plays and having the opportunity to do them and yeah it was it was so good that's how I met most of most of my friends who are still my friends from university to be honest like mm. 99% of my friends at university were made through those kind of connections i.e you two as well um yeah and and I was just lucky enough to do so many shows and so many shows with so many people I like as well um yeah it was it was, it was awesome and honestly I'm I'm just going to talk you up now you you bloody brilliant charlie <laughs> you really are and i i remember a lot of standout performances from you when we were at uni thanks man um and this is this is coming from someone who like going into uni i didn't care for theater or musicals at all really um i just never had really been exposed mm. to them and then yeah watching you guys performing yeah there was there were some cracking performances thanks mate i felt exactly the same watching you guys in the in the comedy society as well especially early early on i'd i've never really especially when i was younger been into sort of stand up and sketch uh, sketch more i guess um with you know your monty pythons and stuff like that but stand up i'd never really been huge on and certainly i'd never really apart from whose lines it anyway come across improv and so watching all the comedy society shows was just, it was yeah, I knew that I wanted to get involved with that as well and cuz that was just so much fun. I remember that first that first freshest show was absolutely hilarious as well. Like 
proper roll in the aisles laughter. <laughs> proper laughing out the door. Four stars. Broadway baby. <laughs> One of the most interesting things about you, Charlie, is that you're terrified of moths. <laughs> That's one of the most interesting things, is it? <laughs> yeah. It's in the top two. Sure. The other one is that you're from Norfolk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that one day Aaron Ridley, who was our Nietzsche lecturer, was wearing a shirt, one of his like flowery shirts. But we were trying to work out what was on them. Like It looked like hummingbirds mm. or maybe flowers or something. And then we thought maybe they were moths. So. Oh, I remember that. They looked a bit like uh, hummingbird hawk moths. Yeah. And they're they're horrible. I hate them. <laughs> um, I was staying at my grand's house uh, a couple of weeks ago. And because loads of family were around, I was sleeping on the sofa in the living room. And it was quite hot, so I had the back door open. And obviously I was a fool to have the back door onto like the patio open at night with the lights on inside, but mm-hmm. I just didn't think. And then the biggest and most horrible moth that I'd maybe ever seen flew in and was <laughs> flapping around. And I'm not really that frightened of them, but I'm increasingly actually don't like them. Like To me, like spiders have always been the things I'm afraid of, but moths are beginning to feel like honorary spiders to me because they're, they're really... Ugh, I don't like them. But anyway, it was flapping around and it was really annoying and I was worried it was going to come and flap in my face. Um, and a couple of times I turned the light off and on and on and off and was trying to get it to go outside. I thought if I turn the lights off in here, maybe it will think outside is the brighter and it will try to go back out. And then I tried that, and then I couldn't hear it anymore. And I thought, oh, great, it must have gone. And I turned the light back on, and as soon as I turned the light back on, it suddenly flew straight into my face. Oh, and, no. and I kind of went, and just like, kind of, like, leapt, like, leapt a few feet away. And then I looked back, and I just couldn't see it anywhere. And I thought, okay, maybe it flew out. And I, and I stayed quiet and looked around for a minute, and then... I couldn't hear it and I thought okay it must have just flown straight out through the door oh no so I closed the door I went to sleep and then the next morning I (laughs) I went to um like you know turn the sofa back into a sofa rather than a bed and I picked up my pillow and the moth was under my pillow (laughs) but like but like it was flattened but not like squished it was like you know how you see butterflies in like lepidopterist kind of like books when they're just perfectly like yeah it was like that under my pillow and it and dead but i just cannot work out how that could possibly have happened because it flew into my face how could it have then gone straight down crawled under my pillow and then just let waited for me to put my head down on it and Mm. yeah so that's my moth story. That pretty, is the scariest. I, I actually really like moths. I really like moths and spiders. Um, I think moths look really oh. cool. I think there's some really cool looking knew moths. There was, like similar to butterflies. Knew there was something wrong with you, mate. Like, come on. They're dusty. They're furry. They flap in your face. As soon as you said that, Jacob, you were like, oh, I was worried it was going to flap in my face. That is, of course, the worst thing that can ever happen to you in the world. It is. I'm sorry. It is. In the, in the world. world. Um, but yeah, spiders I don't mind so much. I've always had a th- had like 
my sister's always been really scared of spiders, so I always used to be the one to have to like get them out of her room. Um, but moths, I can't do it, mate. We live right near a marsh. Uh, well, my family live right near a marsh in Norfolk, and we get some absolute big boys in Norfolk. Some of these moths are just disgusting. I can't even describe how much they used to scare me. I used to not be able to be in a room with them. Uh, now it's got a bit better recently. Uh, I'm, I'm much I'm much braver now, guys. Because um, <laughs> that's the other thing is I totally realise it's irrational. Like, I get it. What is that moth actually going to do apart from flapping my face? Nothing. Maybe take a nibble on some of my jumpers or something. <laughs> but, like, I shouldn't be afraid of that. But I am. I don't know, man. It's the know. same with spiders for me because I know they're they're not going to do anything and they can't even like nibble on my jumpers. You know they're even <laughs> more harmless than moths. Mm. But I just they're just monsters. I just yeah. can't help but and I oh you told me a really funny story once about <laughs> when you were back home in Norfolk and there was a moth in the room and you were was it that you were just like <laughs> hiding with a can of deodorant or something? Yeah. That you were trying to, can you tell that story? Yeah, so this is not a, this is not a singular story, Jacob. This has happened to me so many times. So the house we live in, uh, when I was really little, we used to live in a farmhouse, a really old one, and it that was I mean full of moths. That must be where my uh, fear phobia of moths comes from. But um, the house my family live in at the moment is a barn conversion, and. Yeah, the moths are giant. And they would come in at night when I'd have the light on in the summer and it'd be so hot that I'd need the window open. And this moth would come in. I'd spot it while I was playing FIFA or on my PlayStation or something. (laughs) And then I I would not be able to sleep until that thing was gone. And there's exactly as you said Jacob I used to be basically curled up in a corner like so that I so that I only had like a certain limit the angles it can come at me from right <laughs> limit them as small as possible I need to be able to see as much as possible so I press my back into this corner up in my bed and I'd have either some sort of um towel in one hand like a tea towel or something or um a jumper or something or m- most often I would say probably a book uh, and then in the other hand yeah deodorant uh, or some sort of spray so that when it came near me you spray it and then you hit it but <laughs> the problem is the spray makes them go mental as it would because it's a horrible thing to do to an animal when you think about it but this moth would then just become like roided up by all of this it, it would work like some sort of like stimulant for this moth and then it'd be like smacking walls to wall to wall to wall and you would never be able to catch it and my room uh because it was this barn on um my room was on the top floor and it was the beams go right the way up to the top of this barn and it's kind of right at the middle section of the barn where it gets tallest so my room's got a really really tall ceiling with all these beams on it and it means that this moth could sit right at the top there and you would need (laughs) honestly need like a really big ladder to try and get it so it just sit there watching you meanwhile I'm in this corner just (laughs) waiting for it to move trying to spray this deodorant up so far they'll make this moth move again (laughs) 
<laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. When we come on to the section when we talk about your dream job, Charlie, I yeah. think we can at this point rule out it's not being a vet for moth. <laughs> That would... No, but only if you can put them down. Yeah, yeah. That's the bit I did. <laughs> only if you can give leafy injections to moths. <laughs> why do I? Why do I feel somebody's going to be offended by that? <laughs> yeah, the RSPM will be yeah. writing into us. <laughs> I want to defund them. <laughs> I want to take their money away. <laughs> We join them. Defund. Work from the inside. Unless it's the um, Royal Society for the Prevention of Moths. <laughs> then I'm in. I'll set that up. So, Charlie, I'm quite excited uh, to go ahead in time a bit to, after university uh, to talk about your time, I believe, working at Sheringham museum is that right it's not actually um, oh okay i'll tell you for why it's another norfolk uh, seaside town so don't worry jacob Sheringham is where i do a lot of um acting as well as uh, great yarmouth and yet it's great yarmouth uh, museum the museum of great yarmouth life uh for a bit of um context uh for a bit of context, if uh, people don't know Grey Yarmouth very well, um, it is one, it's one of the poorest boroughs in the UK. It is mm. a very run-down, uh, a really sort of popular seaside town, used to be from the Victorian times, and um, now it's very, yeah, it's very run-down, but I absolutely love it. I don't really know why. I just have this kind of affinity with it. And yeah, one of the main reasons, I suppose, is that I started working at this museum after university. I still work there a fair bit when I can. It's called the Time and Tide Museum. Time and Tide wait for no man, I believe, is the quote. Uh, but yeah, the Time and Tide Museum. Uh, and it's the Museum of, of Great Yarmouth Life. And uh, I'm part of the learning team there. And basically what that means is I have... It's probably the best job I've ever had. Uh, it is... Basically, I dress up as different periods of history and teach primary school kids about them. So one day I might be a, oh, I don't know, Roman soldier. That's a, that's one I do quite often. Uh, sometimes a Viking warrior. I've been, oh, I've been a First World War pilot, Second World War home guard, um, Stone Age hunter. That one's fun. Dress up in deer skin the whole time. Um <laughs> But it is honestly amazing. It's such a great way for the kids to learn, but also it's hilarious. It is so funny, try, like, pretending to be these characters from history or these uh, roles from history. Some of them are based on real people and some of them are just kind of based on the time period generally. Uh, and, yeah, some fantastic stories. I absolutely love it. One of the good ones was my first day. This is fantastic. My first ever day. Um, so for a bit of background, I was really lucky. I didn't even have to apply for this job. Uh, out of university, um, through some of the work, uh, acting work I've done with Sheringham Little Theatre and St George's Theatre in Great Yarmouth, um, we were doing a play called Bouncers by John Gobber with a few friends of mine and a couple of people from the museum came along to see it because my friend Sam worked at the museum he was in the play and after the play they went oh do you want a job <laughs> and I was absolutely buzzing because I knew what Sam had, Sam was doing which was this uh, learning role of the museum so anyway I went in um, and did a couple of observations 
basically you watch a day happen uh, and see how it all works and see kind of because it's very specific what we do there's not that many institutions um certainly not in norfolk i only know one or two other ones in norfolk but there's not that many across the uk that do that kind of in-role learning stuff anyway my first day of actual delivery after a few times of watching them we were doing stone age surviving the stone age the event is called and my friend sam and i were dressed as uh mesolithic hunters stone age hunters and um basically we're talking to the kids about different animals in the stone age and you're outside on the courtyard covered in deer fur you've got this deer fur wrapped around you and tied on with leather um and you're talking to them and you're asking right what animals do we need to be afraid of in the stone age and it's all about making sure they understand that different animals appeared in different parts of the stone age because the stone age is a very long time anyway what animals do we need to be afraid of in the Stone Age? This one kid, it's my first day, it's my first ever session I've delivered. What animals do we need to be afraid of? He looks at me dead in the eyes. The Great White is the king of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to go, uh, I just had to go, um, we, yeah, yeah, no, I suppose, I suppose it is. Um, we probably don't need to worry about Great Whites um, in the middle of the, the land. Um, <laughs> So that was that was hilarious. That's well, they can probably leap out of the water, can't they? <laughs> yeah, probably. They're big enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've seen George. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and the Meg too. Um, <laughs> I just read that got zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and somebody just comment, I love Jason Statham. <laughs> so good. But yeah, that's one of the best things about the job. In, it might be the best thing. It's tough to know because it's so much fun just messing around. But one of the best things is the stuff the kids say. And we all know what kids are like, but primary school kids especially, I love working with because they will just say the most random stuff that comes into their head. And often it's just completely irrelevant to what you're talking about. Um, I mean, the Great White, as I say, is the king of the sea, but it wasn't particularly relevant at that time. And you always get... Um, I had one the other day. We have, we're have we really lucky. Some of the resources the museum have are amazing. And one of the things we get to show the kids um, in one of the sessions is a mammoth tooth, a fossilised mammoth tooth. And they can, uh, like, feel it and feel the texture of it and the weight of it. And we pass it around and, and they love it. Um but what I always do in that session is is get them to guess what it is because uh, it doesn't look like a tooth. So I'm holding it and asking them what it looks like. And one of the children, I said, what do you think, what part of the mammoth is this? And I, I make sure beforehand to be really careful and kind of explain that it's only the hard bits of the animal that get fossilised and normally all the soft bits rot away, right, in the ground. And this one kid just comes out with, is that... Is that the mammoth's gills? <laughs> I, I had to explain that mammoths don't really need gills. <laughs> but it took me a really long time to explain it to this child because he was so set on the fact that mammoths would definitely have gills. And why wouldn't they have gills? Because otherwise they wouldn't be able to breed sort of thing. There seems so, yeah. to be a lot of confusion among Norfolk children of the difference between sea animals <laughs> and land animals. Because... That's so true. <laughs> there's some sort of issue going on yeah. here <laughs> i think ofsted need to have a look into that yeah yeah i think they probably do it's um it's uh, it's a wonderful job 
I absolutely love it. And it's it's so varied. Like I say, from day to day, you just play all these different roles. And um, I think my favourite one is, is the First World War pilot that I do because it's based on an actual uh, pilot from the First World War whose name was uh, Major Sir Egbert Cadbury. And he was actually the grandson of, of the man who invented Cadbury's chocolate. And oh, after wow. the war, he went went back oh, and, wow. and ran Cadbury's chocolate. But during the First World War, he was a pilot in Great Yarmouth. Um, and he shot down two Zeppelins over the North Sea. Um, he was a really good pilot. Um, but it's amazing because it's literally, if you've seen Blackadder, it's literally flash art from Blackadder. Because the whole thing, I just talk like this all day and it's absolutely mm. phenomenal. And you get to say, <laughs> he chocks away old bean. Uh, a no good German <laughs> Zeppelins over the North Sea. Let's go shoot it down. Like it's so much fun. I always grow my moustache out for it and fill it in a little bit and wear this tuxedo because <laughs> the story goes that uh, he was in uh, a theatre near the museum uh, on this night uh, in August 1918, and suddenly his uh, gunner kicked the door of the theatre and ran in and said, "There's a Zeppelin over the North Sea." And they basically had to run in the middle of the night and, and go and shoot the Zeppelin down. Um, incredible story and incredible people that did that, but also just so much fun because we've got diary excerpts from him. Uh, there's a book with a lot of his diary in it and the way he talks about things and the w words he uses, the fruity language and stuff makes you think this is definitely an inspiration for, for flash art and for these, you know, this kind of very, this very posh, this very posh boy kind of um, feeling we have around these First World War pilots because they were from like Eton mm. and Harrow and stuff as well, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, the job is a perfect um, kind of middle ground for me between history, which I, I, I absolutely love history, always have done. Um, I ne nearly did it at university instead of philosophy, Jacob. So that, you know, that would have been awful for you because then you yeah. wouldn't have got to see me in lectures. That would have been very sad. Yeah, but it's a great middle ground between history and acting for me because it is basically it's teaching in role but it's half acting half teaching and it's interesting that half of the people who come into it well a lot of the people who come into doing that job do it from teaching from being teachers but then some of them like myself come in from more of an acting background so it's kind of interesting to see the different techniques people use as well so do you still do it uh sometimes even though you're living in london now yeah so i've been back and forth a lot um yeah, I, I love I love doing it. I love to help them out. Um, they don't, you know, they don't. It's Great Yarmouth. They don't have many people uh, who yeah. are up for that sort of mm. job. To be honest with you, um, there's a couple. There's only me and um, one other guy who work there, and there is uh, another one, Gerald, who's uh, going to start working there as well. So they're they're very low on men as well. So they're very keen to kind of get me in to do as many shifts as possible. But yeah, it's kind of, I've been doing it here and, and when I can. And Claire likes to get me to, sorry, my manager, Claire. I can't just throw out the name Claire and expect everybody to know who Claire is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my manager, Claire, gets me to run like a training session every year because she knows I've got a fair bit of acting experience. And like I say, a lot of them come from a teaching background. So she always likes me to get to do that. So I've got that in a couple of weeks before the term starts again because it's all school trip groups so it's all just um yeah schools book whatever subject of from history they want to come and do and we we do it uh and literally name name pretty much anything and we do it apart from ones that we don't really have any items for in the collection um, egyptian 
it, we don't do Egyptian purely because there's very little Egyptian stuff that went on in Great Yarmouth. <laughs> the the Moorish Caliphate. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> so no. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to get a demonstration of a few more of your uh, voices that you do oh, in, in these characters. What's your, yeah, what's your Roman? Roman. Oh, Roman is excellent because you've got... I am <laughs> <Hello>. making the, aqu- the aqueducts <laughs> just like my mum used to me. Get uh, in the line. No, uh, it's... <laughs> The Roman one's great because you get to be really mean to the kids because we try in that event, we call it Iceni Revolt because there was a, um, as some people may know, a bit of uh, ancient British history for you. Uh, there was a tribe in East Anglia called the Iceni tribe led by Queen Boudicca who were a, a big opposition to the Romans, basically. And we, through the event, want to make them sympathetic to the Iceni because we want to make them understand that the Romans basically just came and conquered everything um came along and just took absolutely everything for these people and basically devastated them so i as a roman soldier when i'm playing that one get to be really mean to the kids and it's so (laughs) much fun you have to you know you have to have learned a couple of words in latin as well which is absolutely hilarious so often i'll be telling them uh, silentium (laughs) mandata captate which means uh, stand to attention, I believe. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, laxate, which is relax. And I say, when I say this, you can stand as you were stood before. You were stood like slouching monkeys, all of you. And you're picking your <laughs> nose and whatever horrible children do. And then when I say mandata captate, you must stand up straight and tall. And then I'm shouting mandata captate. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. And then I get them to march and I say, um, now... Marching's the quickest way of moving our armies in an organised fashion. I could get you to march in your uh, primitive English, but no, I'm going to teach you in the noble language of Latin. And then I basically teach them sin and dex, uh, which are left and right. But interestingly, Romans started on their right foot when they were marching, whereas we tend to start on our left. No. So there you go. There's that bit of bit of effect for you. and that's that's why it all came crumbling yeah, down, mate. That was the main reason it all ended. <laughs> Um, a f- brief funny story about one of the other characters I play that we do a a pirates one which is one of my absolute favourites because we tend to do it with reception or year one so whereas your year sixes and year fives tend to kind of see through the ruse but play along with it so if you're a Roman soldier to a group of year sixes they know you're not a real Roman soldier but they'll play along <laughs> with it when you deliver to reception they actually believe that you're a pirate and it is, it's phenomenal. They properly think you are. And um, I can remember doing one day um, where I was playing the pirate and I decided to do a proper pirate voice because normally I'd just be like, hello, I'm a pirate, and do it, you know, because they're reception, try and, try and make it as clear as possible. But one day I decided to do it more like a pirate. And then by the end of the day, I was just doing an Irish accent. And it, <laughs> it was terrible. I've never tried to do the pirate voice for a full day ever again. Because it doesn't work, clearly. I can't keep it up for a full day. An hour maximum. And then I end up, hello everyone. How are you? Well, welcome into the Pirate Cove. It's <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> How are we all doing, kids? Are we well? How's your mother? <laughs> now, don't be talking to your ma like that. <laughs> I'd be a bit worried that if I spoke like a pirate for a whole day, I wouldn't be able to stop. 
yeah. just replace my real voice. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it can be a little bit difficult to get out of um, doing that Cadbury voice, the First World War pilot, yeah. because, mainly because <laughs> it's so much fun as well. Ch- chocks away, mm. and there's a nurse character as well, so we always make him a little bit kind of like, have you seen that nurse today? And like, they're absolutely <laughs> loving it. And sometimes, yeah, it's more that I think I just want to be that character rather than not being able to stop talking like him. Yeah. But yeah. You are you are very method in that sense, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live live yeah. life as the character. When I play a yeah. um a Mesolithic hunter, I live in the garden <laughs> for a week. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do the Mesolithic hunter voice? Um that one's really funny, Ooga, right? Ooga. Because <laughs> what we have, what we've built, uh what we tell the kids we've built and um we got a man to put lots of switches and lights on a desktop. We've made a time machine. So we tell the kids we've made this time machine and then we go back in time and bring somebody from the Stone Age to the present, right? So it's really difficult to deliver a session without speaking because all of the kids obviously assume that you're a Stone Age person and wouldn't be able to speak English, but we wouldn't be able to get anything done without speaking English. So we basically have to say that it was the time machine, if anybody asks. Most of the time they don't ask, but if they do, I'm like, well, you know, it must have been the time machine that translated (laughs) your ears or something. Like Um, the TARDIS. Yes, exactly like the TARDIS. So... Yeah, that one's always fun. That's a nice one because you start with your finger on your lips, crouch down in the courtyard, and obviously they've not heard you speak at all yet, and they all crouch down with you, and they get really quiet because you've got your finger on your lips, and then you say, why do we need to be quiet in the Stone Age? (laughs) 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 And the answers, of course, are... Well, actually, boys, what are the answers? Tell me, there's two. Um, because the Great White <laughs> is, the, is the king of the sea. You're on the right lines. Uh, because of the saber-toothed tigers. Well, they weren't around in the Mesolithic Age, Jacob, but it's certainly because of predators. It's oh, be- because of... The- it's because you're hunting. Because That's of the, the drones? It's because oh. of the drone strikes. <laughs> That's the reason, Jacob. <laughs> It's because of the US sanctioned drone strikes. <laughs> the NATO drone strikes. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, it's because of predators and so that you can hunt as well. Because the whole session is about hunting. So it's really cool. We've got this um, 2D deer, uh, life size, almost like a cardboard cutout. But it's got real antlers stuck onto it and it's got um, real deer fur on it as well. And we kind of hide it out of the way on the courtyard and then. During the session, we give them all spears and get them to throw spears at this deer. And then later on in the day, we talk about uh, how human beings would have processed the deer and used every bit of it, you know, used all the bones and the antlers and all the skin and the meat and whatever. So that one's really, really fun and really interesting. And it's certainly a period of history I knew very little about before working at the museum. And I've definitely learned loads about, or certainly to a primary school level, about um, <laughs> the Mesolithic age, I suppose you'd say. Really interesting stuff. There was a there was a man who used to work there when I first started working there who had created his own stone tools in the traditional Stone Age way and had actually processed a few deers that he had found uh, as roadkill uh, using original Stone Age techniques, um, like using his stone tools. 
So it's wow. amazing. Really cool guy. Um, but yeah, pretty crazy. He said that um, brain tanning the skin, which is where you basically mush the brain up and spread it over all the skin to make it uh, soft and to stop it rotting away. He said he'll never, ever forget that smell because he said it's the worst smell he's ever smelled in, the, in his life. Some people, that's a night out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Saturday evening for Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I think we can come on now to the the day job. Mm. Ah. Today's day job, you mean? What I'm doing at the moment is I'm assuming what you what you mean. Um so I work for I work for a charity. I work part time for a uh, domestic violence uh, prevention charity. We work um, in schools doing um, drama workshops that help teach uh, kids of all ages about uh, healthy relationships. So it's anti domestic violence and sexual abuse, but it's through a positive lens of like healthy relationships okay interesting how long you been doing that for i started doing that uh only a few months after i left university so i started as a a workshop leader so all around the country they have uh freelance uh workshop leaders who um basically do the workshops in the schools deliver them uh and then they have like a core team uh around the country who kind of administrate those projects so from 2018 until March 2022, I think it was. I was a freelance workshop leader. And then since then, I've been a what's called a projects coordinator. So that's more the administrative side of things. Oh, right. Oh, so you're not, you're not actually in the schools anymore. Uh, you're more just like organising. Yeah, it's more that side of things. I have done bits and bobs of um, the delivery since. I've ha- kind of had to, especially the first six months. But, um, yeah, recently it's been much more administrative. But I think the plan is, uh, hopefully, to go back to doing some more some more delivery in the future. So what's, what does a typical working day look like for you? Well, that depends. Um, like I say, I'm part-time, so it, it means that um, I get to schedule my days as I want. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, it basically, yeah, it's... So we get all the kids to do a questionnaire uh, sometimes before and after or sometimes just after so that we can feed back to funders and to the HQ and stuff with kind of um yeah what how it's gone basically and see if we've achieved the targets we've we've meant to achieve so a lot of my day at the moment has been inputting these questionnaires so it's a case of reading the questionnaire putting it onto the system and then picking up the next one and doing exactly the same thing again Mm. So I've done hundreds and hundreds of them over the last few days. Um, but often it's contacting schools, getting in touch with funders, um, you know, making sure the workshop leaders are free when they're meant to be and blah, blah, blah. So it's a lot of a lot of admin and organisation at the moment, basically. So what um, what's the kind of theory behind it? So um, what are, I guess, like, what's the starting point for thinking what are the kinds of things that tend to lead on to, you know, there being a risk of domestic violence and what is the theory behind trying to, you know, Mm. talk to children early on and discourage that? It's a great question. It's something we, 
we do a lot of work around in any project we do is around early warning signs. So it's about looking out for things that might make a relationship unhealthy. And we the way we phrase it, the reason we phrase it like that is because of course you can't go in and bombard with all the horrible, horrible statistics. Um and cause because it's obviously a really serious issue and it's a really um it's a really kind of draining issue to think about. So kind of trying to deliver it in quite a serious way in schools wouldn't really work. And when we do work with adults, when we do adult training, when we do university work, you can afford to bring in a lot more of that uh, statistical evidence, I suppose. But with primary school kids, we frame it around healthy friendships. So we talk about how can your friendships with other people be friend be friendly. So that starts off with things like, making a house of friendship which is basically you put all the things you want in a friendship on the inside and all the things you don't want in a friendship around the outside so it can be exercises as simple as that for for primary school kids but then obviously with secondary you start to get on to we do include you know a bit of the kind of statistics stuff but also we do a lot of role play because one of the things our kind of usp as a charity is that we use acting to do it so our tagline used to be acting to end abuse. The charity is called Tender Education and Arts. And as I say, the kind of strap line used to be acting to end abuse. So it is, we do role play. We've got certain scripts that will kind of elicit particular reactions from students about who was in the wrong here. What was the thing that made that relationship unhealthy, if that makes sense. Um, and then trying to trying to find ways of things like conflict resolution as well. Because you can't just say, right, here's all the unhealthy things to look out for. See ya. You've got to basically make sure that they know how to deal with this stuff, but also they know who they can talk to. Because it's, it's so such a big thing from all the evidence we've gathered that children, no matter how young they are, will just rather talk to their mates about things. And that's fine. But when you're a child, your mates can't really do anything. So we try and as much as we can make sure that it's about they're able to find the support they need and they know what which channels to go through to get kind of support as well um so people in school people out of school things like childline as well that kind of thing so yeah it's kind of a holistic approach it's very um it's very preventative we don't tend to do any work with um survivors um so yeah you of course you're bound it's bound to bring up things when you're in these institutions um and we've of course got all those procedures to deal with that kind of thing but a lot of the time it is preventative so it's not quite as intense as it sounds it's actually really rewarding uh and and can be a lot of fun delivering these workshops in schools as well i remember we were speaking about this before and um I know you said to me that through doing these workshops, you've had a few kids, haven't you, come up to you afterwards and say, "Yeah, you know, from what you've told me, this seems like what's going on at yeah. home. It's, it's, you know, it's easily the toughest thing. Um, one of the toughest things I've ever had to deal with professionally or personally, because you get to know these kids. A lot of the workshops we do are two days. So you come in on the first day and you get to meet them and blah, blah, blah. And then often you'll do a presentation to another uh, year group or to the rest of the school on the, at the end of the second day. And by, by the time you get to the second day, you're also playing loads of drama games with them throughout the day. So they end up loving you because it's way better than a day at school. So <laughs> mm. they get really comfortable with you and it's so nice and they feel like they can open up. And, it, and often these kids won't tell people 
what's going on until they've seen something that makes them realize that something's wrong. Um, so it is, we are all trained, um, and it's, it's great training that we get that kind of teaches us how to deal with that situation. It's the most difficult thing. Yeah. Like I said, it's the most difficult thing I've had to do as a professional is listen to these stories, um, and then kind of pass them off, um, and, and find their safeguarding leads and, kind of submit it that way the problem is you're not going you might never see that child again you're never going to go back to that school again so it's about making sure that they've got the support they know where they can find it and about making sure that the school is doing enough to help them because unfortunately as we know schools a lot of the time don't have the funding they need so it means that a lot of this kind of extra what they see as kind of extra support is actually really necessary and a lot of these kids aren't getting it which is such a shame but that's what we're there for, really. That's why we need it and why we need the funding. And yeah, I, I, be- I really, really believe in the transformative power of these workshops. Um, some people think they're kind of a bit arty-farty. And I suppose through the kind of drama-based approach we take, it you know, it isn't, it isn't um, sort of earth-shattering statistics and stuff like that, like I say. But I do, I do generally, genuinely believe that, that it's pretty world-changing for some people. Yeah, because I mean, I guess it's going up against a lot of other factors. Like, I guess if you think, what are the things that are going to shape a child's way of behaving? Mm. It's going to be, you know, parents, I guess, or the yeah. home situation first, and what they observe, mm. and whether they have good examples mm-hmm. at home, and then it will be cultural things like TV shows and music and yeah. and all that. Um, so if someone's got a really bad education and how to treat people from from those sources, I guess having another thing in the mix there makes them go, oh, maybe I should rethink that. Exactly. It could be and really valuable. One of the best ones I ever had was uh, in a school in Great Yarmouth, actually. I tell you, I've do, done a lot of work in Great Yarmouth and I love it there. <laughs> um yeah, a wonderful, wonderful little primary school in Great Yarmouth. Um, we do this um, section with primary school kids, which is one of my favourite exercises called Power Lines, where we basically get them, give them a list of um, jobs. Hey, linking it back into the theme of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Thanks. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I thought I better steer this shit because nobody else yeah. is doing it. No, I'm joking. Um, we give them a list of these careers and they've got to uh, basically put them in order of their power. Um, and then we move on to giving them a list of things like men and women and um, boyfriend and girlfriend and girlfriend and girlfriend and things like this and see where they would put them on this kind of power scale. And this one chap, when we started this conversation on the first day, it's one of the first things we did, basically said, um, no, no, me- uh, men are better than women because women cheat. So we, of course, we we, we had some mm. ideas as to what might have happened in that household. But it's the sort of thing where, you know, you can't approach that kind of topic head on with that child. But by the end of the, by the, end of the two days doing this questionnaire we ask them what's the most important thing you learn and at the bottom of his questionnaire he wrote i uh, i learned that men and women are equal 
And we were just absolutely buzzing oh. with that response. Because if you can change one person's mind, like that was a, the best example I've ever found of a student, literally his mind being changed just by us doing that workshop. So like I say, if you can change one That's person's amazing, one mate. opinion of one person, it's all worth it. I suppose it's time to move on mm. to the denouement of our <laughs> whole conversation which is the question of dream jobs. So we're going to try to find you a, a dream job, Charlie. Amazing. But I think because especially we started off by talking about how many different things yeah. you wanted to do, I think we've got to find something that builds in some of the elements 100%. from those other things. But generally speaking, to start off with... Mm. Is there, like, as of now, like an actual job that you know of that you think, oh, I would love that, that would be my dream job? Do you know, it's, it's funny that you ask that because I've been thinking about what direction my career might go in. And one thing I've genuinely looked into is being a football scout. Really? Yeah. Genuinely would absolutely oh, love okay. to do that. Imagine your job being going to sit and watch football matches and go, that one's good that one's not good like it <laughs> sounds amazing to me also i'm obsessed with the video game football manager so and i've been playing it for mm. i've been logging 600 hours a year on that baby for maybe the last seven years like honestly jacob's laughing a lot and it's i've it, i've seen his i've seen his playtime on steam mate he's it's not unreal. joking it's not even he, charlie puts in it's work. not even that good this year and i've played so much of it <laughs> So what what is Football Manager? It's basically a game where you get to be a football manager. It's a computer game <laughs> and you basically do everything a football manager would in real life. So you buy players, you sort out your team, you hire staff, you fire staff, you do press conferences. It sounds so lame, Jacob. And now I'm really, really uh, regretting talking about it because <laughs> it's then not lame. if any it's of my lame. friends who don't know I like this listen to this podcast and then they're like, ooh, Charlie sits at home pretending to be a football manager all day but yeah it's not no is it no. charlie because you are a football yeah, manager well, yeah a lot of people don't understand don't it. it there's there's so much to that game it's basically it's been called like spreadsheet simulator yep. because it's it's really um when you look at it from an outsider it's not what you would think no. a video game would look like it's really um like um, just a lot of numbers yeah. on a screen and it's a lot of it is laid out in spreadsheet mm -hmm. form. Um, so it's just a lot of studying like facts and figures yep. and um, trying to like tweak and change things to make your team as good as they yeah. can be. I'm obsessed um, with football. So I, I, I absolutely love it. But the other, the, my favorite fact about it that I think even Jacob will find impressive is that uh, different football teams in the world, including most recently Wayne Rooney came out and said this, who's the current manager of a US uh, team in the MLS. Um, they use the data that football manager have for their actual day-to-day uh, -day operations of clubs and scouting players and transfers and things like that. So the the data that football manager uses as a, as a game is uh, unrivaled. There you go, Jacob. We can stop talking about football now. Well, no, because I want to know what a football scout does since that. Because I'm imagining as a layman mm -hmm. that you show up to kind of like lower league matches yep. 
and you just kind of sit there and if someone looks like wow you know this person's playing above the level mm. of this then you go sidle up to them afterwards and say oi um maybe you should come and we should have a word like ray winston <laughs> yeah have um, a word yeah and that's about <laughs> as far as my imagination goes so what am i right what am i missing you're not far off to be honest from my understanding um it's but it, it's more that a club would hire you to do some certain scouting. So, for example, my club, Tottenham, will have scouts throughout the world, lots of different parts of the world. Uh, they'll have hundreds of scouts probably, but they'll have scouts in South America, for example, that watch the leagues there. And then they say, right, this player looks like maybe at some point he could play for Tottenham. He might be good enough. Um, so, yeah, it's either that or, you know, freelance scouts, things like that, people who... Um, yeah, different clubs will hire at different times of the year. But it basically is watching football, seeing if a player would be good enough to play for the club that have hired you, if that makes sense. Is it a full-time job? That's the other thing. I don't really know. Um, it. I mean, certainly some scouts get paid a ridiculous amount of money. So for some people, it certainly is a full-time job. I think certainly towards the lower ends of things, it's not, <laughs> I would imagine. I guess it's the same with a lot of professions. Yeah. So... We want to give you your dream, but like Jacob said, we want to be able to incorporate some other um, aspects that you've mentioned sure. before. So I'm trying to imagine, is there some sort of way that you could bring acting into the fold with football scouting? You know, maybe uh, maybe there's a way that you can like, when you know, you go out and do your football scouting mm -hmm. and then when you come back to report to the manager or report to the data analyst about that player that you've seen, you could almost like method as that <laughs> player and act out, you know, this is what I saw on the yeah. pitch. Um, this is the sort of plays he was making. You know, you you can do the uh, um, voice of the World War One pilot if you want <laughs> whilst you're doing it, if that makes you feel better. That sounds good. The other thing I was just thinking, I could do, like you said, impressions of the players, or I could <laughs> be like a double agent for like a rival team and then have to act as if I'm not. So I'm like playing two clubs off of each other and have to use my intense <laughs> acting skills because that would also get across the problem, as Jacob said, of it potentially not being full time. So if I could have two jobs with rival clubs... Ah, then... a little uh, a football scout spy almost. <laughs> yes! That does oh, sound yeah. very cool. That Excellent. sounds amazing. <laughs> so, you know, you go you go and scout, like, I don't know, like Bognor Regis. I've got a friend um, who used to and, write, uh, uh, who used to basically do reports for Bognor Regis. A one Ben Wilcox. Oh, yeah. Ben, yeah, shout out, Ben. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you go you go and scout Bogner, and ben, Ben's there, sure. But you don't, you know, you're on job, mate. You don't can't, talk to him. Can't he recognise um, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, well, you're wearing an elaborate costume. <laughs> I thought it was in the tux. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you're you're scouting the players, and then you think to yourself, okay, okay, so th this guy would probably be good for Spurs, but Man City are also interested, and uh, I'm trying to play both sides yeah. here. So you always come out on top. Um, yeah, we are we saying that um, you would you would try and mess over, you know, like mess about one of the other teams on behalf of the other one and vice versa? Yeah, I guess it depends because, you know, if Spurs and Arsenal hired me, then obviously I would just do everything I can to recommend all the wrong players to Arsenal. But <laughs> Well, let's say, let's say you'd, have to, you'd have to go yeah, neutral. I would. You'd have to go neutral clubs. Yeah, yeah. you're right. 
And potentially, yeah, I think it'd be funnier with rivals, though, wouldn't it? It would be, and it'd be more scary for me, like having to running the risk of being caught out. Yeah, I wonder what would happen if you did get like. <laughs> there's have to be some kind of a hmm. Okay, well, may, well, how about this? If you get caught out at any point, mm-hmm. you know, you can still you you can pick yourself up and you, you dust yourself off afterwards. But the punishment is that you have to go to an empty football stadium. Oh no. And it's I do any of them ever have the cover on like over the roof like go over them like if a you, car. If roof. you want mate. Yeah, okay. Going, but if so you it's want. it's enclosed this one. It's like got a sunroof this one. <laughs> and a moth the size oh. of a man. I was no, I was I knew. is released into the stadium. Oh god. And you have to stay in there for half an hour holding a torch. What? That's um, horrific. It's the size of a man. Oh, I don't know if you have ever heard the myths of Mothman. But the, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, it's, no, I haven't. Have you ever heard of Mothman? Explain, please. Um, well, clues yeah. in the name. I it's want just, you to explain, just, Charlie. I think it's just a Mothman. <laughs> There was the. <laughs> it's one of those stupid internet things where <laughs> there were rumours that there was like a half man, half moth type thing. Like Slender Man. Like yeah. that kind of thing on those forums when. Yeah, I guess so. And there were. Oh, I, just, I just can't even think about it without being upset. Yeah, Jordan's showing some photos now. <laughs> and these. <laughs> it's just a huge moth. That's Mothman. But that doesn't really look like a moth. It doesn't, does so it? What, what we're looking at for the listeners is uh, just like a kind of a man, but with red eyes instead of a face and then wings. So it doesn't really look like a moth to me. Oh, what about that one, though? Yeah. You really, you really got the vi- the audio medium of this podcast, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> look at that one, though. He says, <laughs> "Yeah, look at that one, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> look at that one on your Spotify screen." <laughs> if you don't want to see the Mothman, look away now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Don't make me look. Do at you it. think? Do you think you could do that, though, Charlie? Do you think if that that being the punishment, do you think you could live with that? No, it would certainly make me really careful. Yeah. Well, that's it. It might make you better yeah, at your job. Because it's a bit like an appraisal, you know, like the point of having an appraisal process is partly so that people feel like there are some consequences for, mm. you know, underperforming. Because if you never had one, I know some people say appraisals are kind of like tick box exercises. Yeah. But their mere existence does do something for performance. Definitely. So I would see this as being like... If you, have you heard of like a PIP, like a, a performance improvement plan? That yes. You might get put on by HR. Like this is your version of a PIP, basically. So oh my gosh. Maybe PIP is the name of the moth. <laughs> I think it is actually PIP. Right. PIP yeah, the moth. Pip man. I have a request. Yeah. Yeah. Can I? Um. I've got. I've got. I need something else <laughs> other than just a torch okay when okay, i'm actually have a no, 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 no. can or potentially something to euthanize the moth i was just about to say that we're bringing back in the vet <laughs> thing you you can if if you can get to it 
you can, you have a lethal injection wow. needle. So if you can get to the moth <laughs> and you can and you can take him out, then by all means. But the, the, he's he's a big boy. I think that I think that's a bit unfair because anyone who's afraid of anything like moths or spiders knows that you can't go near them and touch them or be no. you know like that's. But what? So what? I think if we take your idea, but we convert it into one of those blowpipes, like a. <laughs> And, thing. <laughs> yeah. and you can yeah, blow a kind of dart at it that will... but, but I only have one right so I've got to make sure the shot counts yeah and that's where yeah but that's where your training comes in you go into the corner you shut down the angles <laughs> well I mean I don't think football stadiums have corners do they they're normally ovals it depends Norwich City Football Club have a holiday inn in the corner of their stadium <laughs> what yeah you oh can... wait is that that's the one where, that's where daily is that lives? the one like where you can go out onto like a little terrace and it's just in the corner of that because I think I've seen a picture of that where there's like a hotel you can go out onto a terrace but you're in the stadium when you go out onto the terrace i think that's a slightly different one but it's basically the same because you can just basically look out the window but obviously the wind the the pitch facing uh rooms go absolutely mental on a match day like the prices of them is ridiculous (laughs) but you can just sit in your room and watch the football out your window well i i think that this is an oval stadium okay um, but let's say uh, let's say it has one corner. Oh. But let's say the corner is over on the other side where oh, the moth. No. Oh, so no. okay, I, I don't know if I've been clear about the situation entirely. So there's a roof on mm-hmm. the place, and I, in my mind, it's pitch black, and right. the torch is the only source of light. Oh no! So obviously that's going to attract the moth. Mm. But you don't have to hold the torch all the time. So you could set it up. Oh. You could leave the torch on the ground, and, and the moth man could come over to it. And then you you can go boom, with the blowpipe. Okay. Um, but you know sometimes they do go a bit crazy, don't they? Oh. And sometimes they don't go straight towards the light. They'll no. just flap around in the dark for or some they'll reason. Sit on something that's reflecting the light. So yeah, I've got to make sure I'm not nowhere near the beam of light. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm mm. just picturing myself running away from a human-sized <laughs> moth in a football stadium. <laughs> Well, it's only half an hour. Don't forget that. Oh, I can't run for half an hour, though. Yeah, but the stadiums are massive, mate. Yeah. You could, I reckon you could get far enough away from the thing and just sit there for half an hour and, ta- and you know, do your time. But like we said, this is, this is what you've got to deal with if you're going to be a bad yeah. spy. You know, if you're, if you're switched on and you don't get caught, then you never have to see Moth Man. Okay, so it's not like a yearly thing. It's just if I get it wrong. It's if you fail your appraisal, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like that's... Um, and I just was wondering, um, if that human-sized moth... Because, I mean, it, we're saying Moth Man, but it isn't. It's just a human-sized moth. Like, yeah. It's just big. If that came and flapped around Ugh. on you, yeah, would you be able to come back from that, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best question I've ever been asked by anybody. Um, I think uh, physically, uh, yeah. Uh, emotionally, no. Definitely not. I would. It's. It would be an instant ego death for me. I think it would. It would completely destroy me. I think I wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything ever again. What if you were the Kierkegaardian Knight of Faith? <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> what if you were the um, the Nietzschean Ubermensch? 
Well, then I feel like the Ubermensch would not be bothered by moths. Right. Yeah. So that's not you, really, is it? No, definitely not me. I am not the Ubermensch, Jacob. <laughs> that's a quote for the promotional material for this. Uh, that's a trailer You're for this the... episode. <laughs> yeah. You're the fucking beta mensch, yeah. mate, because you, cause you're scared of moths. That's what you are. <laughs> um, okay, so fine, we've, we've got that bit in. Uh, I, I mean, when you first said you were thinking of, you know, dream job might be a football scout, mm. that was interesting because that doesn't seem to be something that uses uh, normally. That wouldn't really require any of the skills that you've been... <laughs> yeah talking about before about obviously the acting and so on so Um, true so like when you have actually been thinking about this in real life Mm. were you thinking oh you know i the acting thing would be more like i do it on the side and maybe i'm in like you know uh or maybe like the football scout thing is part-time and i do some acting stuff as well or what were you thinking well i mean that sounds like the best work-life balance ever doesn't it (laughs) well being an actor and a football scout would be i'm thinking actually could you do like a um, like a Parks and Rec, like Silver Duke oh. kind of scenario where nobody knows who you are when you're an actor? Because yes. um, you have to mask your identity because you're a, an international football scout spy. <laughs> um, so you can moonlight as an actor, about, but under like a pseudonym. It's the other way around a bit funnier. Like, if people start to know who I am and then I just have to go to football games, like, with, like, a balaclava on so that people don't (laughs) recognise me (laughs) scouting for Bognor Regis. (laughs) It could be Bognor Regis, mate. It could be, you know, Maidstone United. You know, you could be all over the place. Got a mate who plays right back for Kingsland Town. Shout out, Aaron. (laughs) Well, you could scout him for United, <laughs> Actually, mate. Actually, I think, <laughs> for, for I think Man he's just U. moved, anyway. <laughs> and I, I also detect that there's a then an element maybe working with children that you might miss mm. in something like this. But does I imagine that surely football scouting involves going to, like, you know, younger leagues as well, like, good, like, up and... That's what I imagine, like, the thing in the films when, you know, they were, like, under-15 league or something and some big-shot agent comes and is like... You boy, what day is this? <laughs> it's, it's the day I make your dreams come true is what it is. <laughs> it's football eve, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do think you're right, Jacob. I think especially early on, the, the, the kind of paths I've looked to looked at, I haven't looked at it that seriously, by the way. I just thought it was it was an interesting thing um, that I, I have thought about doing recently. Um it tends to be lower leagues, absolutely, and it tends to be you know lower leagues and lower age groups because that's the other thing. Football's getting as a sport is getting younger and younger and younger. You've got uh, Premier League players playing at sixteen, seventeen years old, so mm. football's getting way younger as well. So I, I do imagine it would probably yeah involve scouting some kids as well. Although probably I wouldn't be dressed up uh, in any sort of. Um, I don't know, historical garb for doing that, I suppose. No, that would be... Well, I mean, when you're scouting in a balaclava so people don't recognise you, you could also be dressed as a Mesolithic (laughs) man. I could. In a deer skin, with a deer skin balaclava on. Because, I mean, that's really good, because let's face it, no one's coming near you. That's so true. You could wear... 
you could wear a deer skin and then you could wear like a goat skull, like a helmet over your yeah. whole head. Oh, like Cubone. Oh, Pokemon. I love a bit of Cubone and Marowak. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they've got a full red deer skull and antlers at the museum. So maybe I could use that. Yeah, yeah. borrow them. That'd yeah, be I'm right, What's your ideal like kind of working pattern? Because obviously, you know, the classic is nine to five, Monday to Friday. Yeah. But are you more of a morning person or a night <laughs> owl or like if you could choose I know you said you do kind of have a lot of discretion over your working hours, but mm. what would be your ideal working hours, working pattern? Um, I would never have to get up in the morning, ever. I hate mornings. I think Jordan is aware mm. of this. Like last time Jordan stayed at my flat, um, neither Anand nor I were up by like eleven. And we came through to to the main room and Jordan had just been up for hours, bless him, just like entertaining himself. Yeah, I was just playing yeah. the PlayStation in the yeah. front room because I didn't want to disturb because I thought you bless were asleep. You. But I was up and showered and I think it got to like midday and I was like, right, I do actually need yeah. to go check on these guys now and get them up because it feels weird. I'm just sat in their front room yeah, by myself. Sorry, mate. <laughs> so yeah, definitely not working uh, in the mornings. I'm definitely more evening. My ideal is certainly with the acting stuff it's um i love doing an evening show you know waking up late doing it you know getting up and doing stuff and then having an evening kind of show as your focal point and then after that you know hanging out going out celebrating and then don't have to get up early in the next morning and i suppose you know that'd be ideal because football games don't tend to start until like midday earliest but you're looking on your saturdays at like 3 p.m aren't you classic saturday 3 p.m kickoff so i could probably do a 3 p.m kickoff what we're looking at half five by the time that game's ended get over to a theater in time for a start of a show at half seven sounds pretty ideal actually Mm, okay (laughs) <laughs> we can we can work that into this arrangement. <laughs> Just as a little to bring something mm. else in, um, you're also if you're if you're comfortable with this when you're travelling between your scouting job and your theatre job, your car um, might break right. down, but you are able to fix it because you're also <laughs> a mechanic. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah, so you you do also have that skill. Okay, if but you're, when you travel, if you if your car does break down. Mm-hmm. And you're not able to fix it within the half an hour. Yeah. Then the AA gets called out. Oh no. And the AA person who comes to you is the moth-sized. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I just said I just said the moth-sized man. Oh, He's a different character. I mean the man-sized moth. But when not he Pip. shows up, not well. No, it is Pip. But he. <laughs> but in this time, he actually um, in this scenario. He is a fully trained mechanic of a higher level of expertise than you, so he can just get it sorted. And he's really friendly to you. He's he's got a bit more of a human personality now, so he doesn't just come and flap at you. He okay. he will come and he'll have a bit of a chat with you. He'll fix the car. He'll be like a kind of like a plumber. Like he'll have that kind of an attitude. He'll call you boss, you know that kind of thing, or, oh, or mate, or pal, like in Peep Show. Um, <laughs> but you know, so you can, when he shows up, you can kind of, I guess, sit in the car and wait for him to be done. But would sure. you, would you be comfortable with that? Like, if he's basically, he's basically there to help. He's a he's a benevolent force, okay. but he is a moth, the size can, of a man. I got two questions. Um, one: Can I stay in the car? While he's working, 
Yeah. With the windows yeah. up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. He's too yeah. big to get in the windows anyway, really. But... Yeah, that's fair. He, yeah, he's he's human sized. Um, and secondly, uh, is he? You said he's quite nice to me and quite friendly. Um, is it, but he's not friendly when during my um, during my performance well, review. I was just thinking about this actually. Um, when you if you do try and say to him like, "Hey, mate, what, what's all that business in the football stadium?" He'd I mean, just be like, "What, what are you on about?" Yeah, because like, I think that the organisation you work for is a bit shadowy. I'm afraid. Okay. And I think what happens is they kind of do something to his brain. Oh. In those moments when he's, you know, in the stadium situation where he's not himself temporarily, like the men, like the men. So in maybe black. what you're saying is they've kind of altered his brain chemistry with deodorant, possibly. Pro- possibly, yeah, yeah. They've they've got deodorant with MK Ultra <laughs> in it that they've sprayed on him to make him to make him go insane. He's like, yeah, he's like he's like red rag to a ball. <laughs> yeah, um, when he when he sees you in but a stadium, but when he's the AA man, the AA moth. Mm-hmm. He's actually just behaves like a person. Okay, like, like a, a nice particularly kind of guy. nice AA helper. Yeah, guy. yeah just yeah. your yeah, just your usual mechanic. Okay. Like, oh, where are you off to, mate? Yeah, that that kind of thing. Yeah, but he'll say it in a kind of slightly scary buzzing kind of way, like, <laughs> like that. Oh no! <laughs> is, how dusty is he? You said this earlier, and I didn't bring you up on it at the time, but yeah. I wanted to say, what are you talking about? Are moths dusty? <laughs> yes. Do you not? Yeah. They, yeah. Especially if you kill them, they, you get all that weird... Oh. I mean, when I, I thought it was their blood. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> what was that it noise? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't have that being their blood. That's terrifying. No, no, I thought it was. But then as I got older, I realised it was just that weird yeah. dusty stuff that they leave on I the think wall after you've like... I think it's that they stay still and in such weird positions that they genuinely collect dust on them. And maybe, who knows where they live during the day? And that is actually... Nobody knows. You can... you can. I think all of them live I in your bedroom, mate. <laughs> do, to be honest. I'm, that is genuinely completely go. new to me, the idea the of them being dusty. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Hang on, hang on. Oh, here we go. I've, okay, I've Googled thanks, it. Thanks, Jamie. Moths are dusty. <laughs> Pull that up. Um, moths are dusty because they are covered in minuscule scales. Oh, However, these scales are different from the kind you would find on a reptile <laughs> such as a lizard or snake. Why is that so funny? <laughs> well, I think probably then the AA moth does leave a lot of that dust around your car. For sake. Yeah, I'm not letting him in. You are allowed a Dyson that you keep in the boot so you can hoover it out. Oh, sweet. And a Dyson as well. Oh, yeah, mate. It's your dream job. Dream big, man. You can have a Dyson if you want a Dyson. One more, just one last thing about uh, about the giant, about Pip. Yes, the moth. Is because you are... Okay, how about this? You have some limited veterinary skills. Ooh. And Th- from the company... The yeah, well, the company that employ you have given you a book called <laughs> Caring for Your Man-Sized Moth. <laughs> and so if Pip should ever become ill, mm-hmm. they call you and you oh, have no. to tend to him. But I will say, just to make sure this isn't too discouraging, that Pip is in fine fettle. Mm-hmm. He is a little, you know little live live wire he's a little scamp Mm -hmm. he's got good clean wings (laughs) 
so he's not going to need a lot of attention. But if he ever does, and they call on you, um, is that how does that sound? Oh. It might be a way to overcome the mm. fear, Charlie. Do you know what? I think the main thing that's going to get me over the fear is the AA thing, because I, I genuinely do. Because I feel like if I'm sat there and he's fixing my car and he's being really nice to me, I feel like maybe I'd get over it. Having said that, the thought of a human-sized moth is genuinely something that has plagued me throughout my life. <laughs> uh, so, like, I don't know. But it, you say, you kind of sound like you're ready to move on from the fear because, like, mm. in this... do you, Could you imagine that if this scenario really happened, which it will, of course... Of course. Could you imagine that you might actually be tempted if your car broke down to think, you know what, I'm actually going to take more than half an hour to fix this on purpose... So that I can have that experience, that maybe cleansing experience where you where you meet a moth in favourable circumstances for the first time. That's a good question. And it's especially if, if in this scenario I've got like vague mechanical skills, um, then, yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe I would deliberately take longer. So it it's only if I take <laughs> It's only if I take over half an hour that this AA moth appears to fix yeah. my car. The scary thing for me would be uh, 29.58, 29.59, 30 minutes, <laughs> and then this moth appears, and I'm fucking terrified. Does he... He just jumps out like Ross. Does he, yeah, and he's calling me boss. Does he pull up in the car? I really want him to pull up in the van with, like, four of his yeah, arms on the wheel. Because his, his, wing, his wings he's using to steer. <laughs> of course he is. And he just rolls a window down and just sort of puts one wing on the... <laughs> On the side, go. You, Charlie, boss. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> and he has a flask of builder's tea with him as well, oh, and, he, does, and he'll offer yeah. you some as well because he has oh. a spare mug, like one of those little f- travel mugs. My issue would be: would he get little scales in the mug? <laughs> Two sugars, please, <laughs> and no scales. Oh, scales are the best bit, boss. You don't you want eat scales. your own scales, mate. That's a bit gross. <laughs> so. I think that uh, <laughs> what we've got so far mm-hmm. is a part-time... Oh, actually, we've got, we've only got... So we've got the part-time football scout. Yeah. Then there's part-time, you just pick up acting jobs and, you know, like... Small, Run with them. Yeah, things maybe in the evening. Mm-hmm. Plus the things about the man-sized moth. <laughs> Which are like maybe the sting in the, the sting in the tail for sure. Do they have stings? Uh, no. no, they don't, Charlie. It's fine. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> Would that make them worse if they did? I mean, yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't it? If if a moth could sting you and hurt you, I mean, it's already hurt me emotionally. If it could sting me, and it was man sized, how big is that sting gonna be? Yeah, actually, that would be pretty bad. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'd be scared. I guess I meant like, would it make them scarier because they're already pretty scared? But yeah, I suppose it would. Mm. So maybe like the only thing we're missing now is, do you want to have a hand in? a little bit of the administration and maybe accounting of this company if you work for as well, because obviously you do some of that kind mm. of stuff. Um, and it wouldn't be like your main bit, but the, whatever shadowy organisation this is that runs this spy, football scout, spy, whatever. Yeah. Um, they have an office, you know, they need a bit, they need someone to come in, do some of the admin from time to time. And you're, it's not on you to do it all, but you kind of chip in sometimes. Are you, are you okay with doing that? 
I mean, yeah, I guess if if it means I if it means I get a say on um, how much money this these football clubs are spending on and who they're spending it on, then hundred percent. And and like I've already explained, I've got the you know I've got the um, experience and uh, football manager qualifications to know how to spend that money. So yeah. if Daniel Levy or another um, <laughs> owner of a football club's coming to me and saying, Charlie, mate, we don't know how much we want for Harry Kane. Then I can help, okay? <laughs> I can definitely help with that side of things. This, it's too this real. This is a plea. This is a plea to Daniel Levy. Tell you. Please consider yeah. Charlie Randall. Leave what's your... Kane alone. Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't understand quite what. Like, what's the issue? Because like, Matt, if he was listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. which he will. Could you like explain what your problem is exactly and, and what you think you can do better? <laughs> I love this. Um, no, uh, I can try. He, um, Daniel Levy, is the owner of of Tottenham Hotspur. Well, he's the chairman. He's not actually the the owner. They're owned by a consortium called Enic. Anyway, he uh, is notoriously difficult to deal with. Um, he has been accused of not spending enough money or not spending it in the right places or trying to wheel or deal most things that he does. Um, I can show him the way forward. And with my uh, talents of now being a football scout as well, then I can chip in and help know where to spend the money as well. So I think I think it's going to go really, really well for me. That sounds good. Sounds like you're enthusiastic about this job, which is what we always want. Absolutely. And I presume you'd prefer it without the moth-related elements, but, of course, <laughs> we don't want to make it too easy for you. Yeah. It, you know, not life isn't all it's cracked up to be sometimes, but, mate, so you've got to take the rough with the and smooth. Look, mate, as long as... You've got to take the you got to take the dust in with the smoothie. <laughs> <you know? laughs> to be honest, as long as the moth leaves me alone for the um for the whole of the acting side of it, then I think I think I'll be okay. And maybe they'll ask me to play a moth in something. Would you mind if he came to watch sometimes? As if I can't see him, then maybe I think he'd distract me. Would you mind? It? Yeah, if Pip was in the crowd, he's not is doing he, anything. He's literally just an audience. Is he member. in? Is he in stadium mode or AA mode? <laughs> he's in. He's just in AA mode. He's just like a. He's just a Does regular he, bloke. He's just a regular mechanic who's just taken the misses out for a for a, for a night of the is theater. He, um, is he heckling or does he come up at the end and go, "Oh, well done, boss." Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he's just like he's just nice, normal. As he comes out the door, oh, you you were great, boss. Hope, hope the motor's all right. Um, and, then, and then he leaves, yeah. <laughs> hope the motor's all right from a life size, from a man-sized moth. Yeah. That's horrific. Yeah, he can come, sure. And, then he go, and he goes, you sure you don't want any of the tea, boss? I bought some, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's probably got them flakes in it, hasn't it, mate? Oh, turns to his missus, bloody high mighty over here. Don't want any flaky tea, love. Right, we're going. <laughs> Would it make any difference to your job as a football scout if you could time travel? Because then you could actually go and visit like the Roman era, the, M- the Mesolithic era, and wow. actually see what they were really like. Yeah. But potentially bring back the footballing cream of the crop from yeah. every age. Because I know that football's changed a lot, even yeah. over the last 50 years. But you might be able to bring something different back with you. And if you were happy with that, yeah, which would be your first port of call in terms of an era to visit to bring back a footballer from. Wow. 
What a great question. Um, it's a tough one, isn't it? My immediate thought, for some reason, uh, went to the First World War and, of course, the football that was played in the trenches, mainly because uh, during the lockdown, the museum got me to make a video, film a video uh, near me with a friend of mine, Sam, about the Christmas truce. So I had to buy a leather football and put on a, a German uniform and my friend Sam had a British uniform on, and we basically filmed ourselves playing football together for a bit in a ploughed field, uh, and then sort of, yeah, basically uh, did some voiceovers over the top. So I suppose, I mean, it'd be cool to see them play football, but it'd probably be horrible, and so you'd probably want to go go much, much closer. I don't know, maybe, ooh, maybe get Paul Gascoigne or something like that. I was I was just about to say you could be the one who scouted Jimmy Greaves. Yeah, I could. Or I could yeah, that's such a good point. Or I could just somehow persuade Ronaldinho to come to Spurs early on in his career. Or Pele. Mm. Oh, this is a great idea. I love the time travel element. Well, it's just, that sort of changed a bit because what I had in mind was you would bring them back to the present, but you're actually thinking you go back in time and you'll do your job in the past. <laughs> and then come back and change the future. Oh, maybe. And then you'll come back. Because you know how that like, like Simpsons episode, The Treehouse of Horror, when he goes back to the time of the dinosaurs and he crushes a yeah. a fly and then he comes back to the future and it's all different. I'm a bit worried that you might, you know, get... Yeah. You might, yeah. It's like, like they say, a flap of a moth's wing. Yeah, and you might, you might, you might like get a footballer from the past signed up to a different team and come back, and everyone in the world is a man-sized moth. Oh no. <laughs> okay, maybe it's not worth risking that. Well, maybe I... not. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's probably a bit late in the podcast to get into what are the implications of time travel <laughs> on the present oh, day. Oh, come on, we've all got, we've all got stuff to do. <laughs> Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's assume it doesn't have any drawbacks. I think that would be quite fun, you know. If you could get, you know, obviously I don't know any, but you could get a well-known footballer of yesteryear yeah. to all come into your team. and oh, That'd be amazing. So it's a, it's, it's a 50-50 split almost, so part-time... Um, no mornings you wake up um sort of midday Lovely. say um and you're a uh, international football scouting spy <laughs> who works for a shady organization who's unnamed and you go along um you're dressed up uh in deer skin <laughs> with a deer skull helmet um to mask your identity whilst you scout the games and then report back to the shady organization <laughs> who then feeds that information to to the football clubs such as spurs <laughs> And then you're off. You're in your car and you're travelling to your next job. Um, obviously, you've got some basic mechanical skills. So if your car breaks <laughs> down, then you can work on it. If it's something more complicated and it takes more than 30 minutes, then your old pal Pip rocks up in the AA van, a flask of tea in hand, really sound <laughs> bloke. You'd go for a pint with him, really lovely bloke. Um, and uh, he works on your car and he leaves. And then you travel to your evening job, which is working at the theatre. And Pip, and Pip might be there. Pip might be watching uh, with his with his beautiful wife and his kids. Um, and you perform most nights. Um, obviously, you've got that flexibility there. Now, obviously, if things start sliding on your day mm. job, then and you and you fail your appraisals, mm -hmm. 
then you then you get evil pit <laughs> and your punishment is that for 30 minutes you have to stay inside uh, an oval sized oval shaped stadium with one corner um <laughs> armed with just a flashlight and a blow dart uh, with with a lethal injection in it um, and you have to survive for 30 minutes um, against evil Pip Mothman um, and then you're allowed out. Also bringing in the uh, time travelling element into your day job as well. Um, you have the ability to travel back in time to any period you want um, to scout players from that time and you can you can scout them back then and do your job back then you can potentially bring them back to present day um, and show them to the the club and say you know this is a young Pele um, I think he'd be really good for you yeah and uh, I think I don't think I've missed anything have I no have I don't I think anything? so but I wanted to make one little addition yeah. just to really tie it all in a neat bow because there's one element we haven't had yet. And when you said Pip might be at the theatre the theater <laughs> with his wife and children, would it be okay if his wife and children were dogs? It, that that would be amazing. I love dogs. Yeah. Okay. I would more than happily hang out with them. Perfect. Perfect. So Pip Pip and his and his dog wife and his dog <laughs> kids will come and watch you. Um and they'll maybe maybe Pip will give you a little pat on the shoulder as Oof. he walks out. Go cracking job, mate. Cracking job, and it, it, easy on the clutch, Charlie. <laughs> I don't want to have to be called out all the time. <laughs> Charlie, will you will you shake our hands on on that job? Will you oh, accept that? Go on, then. Oh, yeah. it's a deal. We're sh- You can't. We can't see you, but we're shaking your hands. I'm shaking yours too. Don't you worry. Um, Charlie, honestly, thank you so much for coming on, oh. mate. Really appreciate Mate, I've it. I've had the best time. <laughs> I love podcasts and I love the, what you're doing. I think it's great. And uh, if you ever um, need me again, <laughs> you know where I am. <laughs> we know where you are. Huddled yeah. in your corner with your, t- yeah. <laughs> your deodorant can <laughs> and your tea towel. <laughs> Wasn't that fun, Jordan? Yeah. Always a pleasure to chat to our good, good pal, Charlie Boy. Yeah. And I guess I won't be able to speak to him again now until I do another (laughs) podcast that he's also on. You need to do a spin-off, which is just in conversation with Charlie Randall. I'll tell you what, I actually wouldn't mind meeting Pip because I know you two hate moths. But like I said, I really like him. And I feel like Pip would be a top, top bloke, someone you'd want to go for a pint with. Well, it's interesting because both um, Charlie and I have had moth incursions since we recorded, and he sent us a video (laughs) earlier today um, explaining how he'd gone out to his kit. He's back in Norfolk at his family home, and he'd gone to make some tea, and he'd been attacked by a big old moth. A big boy, he called it. Um, so we might share the um, the video evidence mm. that he provided on our on our social media if he allows us. What was it? Was it that it had been electrocuted by the zapper and it was just dead? Or was I think it there? was. Yeah, I think it was dead next to the zapper, but it was ginormous. That thing. Uh, well, speaking of our socials, actually, we should probably plug those. If you want to follow us, uh, we're on pretty much all the platforms. Careers Mayor Podcast. On Instagram, we are Careers Mayor on TikTok, Careers Mayor on Facebook, and at Careers Mayor on Twitter or X, as Elon wants me to call it. So, yeah, go give us a follow. We'll be posting clips, we'll be posting a lot of fun stuff over there. 
when it's all up and running. Yeah, and you might even get a little peek into the window, which is how we make our lovely organic yeah. podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be honest, Jacob. I'm really excited for this. Yeah, me too. Really, really excited. I'm glad we're doing this. But yeah, here's uh, here's to even more good pods. Yeah, if you like this, then come back. We're going to be talking to a mixture of some people we know. We know a lot of comedians, of course, coming from the Southampton Comedy Society. But we'll have uh, all sorts of people um, who will do all sorts of different jobs. Um, so there'll be a lot to listen out for. If you're a fan of comedy, there'll be plenty for you. If you just want to hear about people's weird jobs, what people do for a living, then you'll also like it. And we've got some guests coming up that I'm very excited about. And if you don't like any of that, get out of here. If you don't like any of that, um, most uh, podcast platforms have a a search <laughs> feature, and you can probably use that to find something else. Yeah, it's normally, normally a magnifying glass at the top of the screen or sometimes mm. at the bottom, um, and you can search. There's loads of stuff on there. Yeah, there are quite a lot, aren't there? There's yeah. like... Because I was think I was thinking I don't know what you're talking about, but I was thinking before that we were the first people to ever make a podcast. Yeah, so was I. And then when I was doing my research, there's, I mean, there's at least five yeah. from looking up from looking on Spotify. Yeah, I definitely saw around that number. Um, yeah, so but you know, my my advice is that um, uh, do like this podcast. Actually, yeah, yeah, you don't, should. Um, don't make don't let it not be your cup of tea. Um, I think that you should like it. Yeah, and if you don't, you should really, you should really be having a look at yourself and thinking, well, this is objectively good content. Maybe it's me that needs to change. Yeah. So some, you know, something to reflect on before you uh, listen yeah. to our next one. Be the change that you want to see in the world. And listen to the Careers Mayor podcast with Jacob and Jordan. Mm-hmm.